Welcome to Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. Hi, nice to have you here on Peter's Podcast. I'm really excited today because I'm going to be talking with a person who's been a student of mine for a long time, who's a teacher now in his own right. This is Stephen Marks. Stephen is a Brooklyn-based yoga teacher who first came to yoga as part of his acting training at NYU. He now teaches twice a week at Ishta Yoga and uses the tools of yoga to balance his career in technology with his artist's heart. So we're going to have a nice long chat about a lot of cool stuff, and I uh, hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. Well, hi, Stephen. Hey, Peter. So great to have you here. Thanks. I'm thrilled. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, it's it's uh, it's so great. I love I love doing um, the podcast um, myself when I'm I just have something that I want to talk about, but I also love doing it in conversation because it's such a more natural way to communicate. So um, I'm delighted that uh, you're here to have a conversation with me. Thanks. I'm, I've been a huge fan of the pod as the millennials <laughs> say for a long time. And so when you asked, I was uh, really excited about this idea. And I, as you know, I'm always hungry to learn more about yoga. So uh, I'm super grateful Yay. to get to spend this time with you. Perfect. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> cool. Totally. Yeah. So what's on your mind? I'm going to let you set the first topic. Sure. Um, recently, I've been incorporating mantra into my practice. And this is a result of going on a retreat, actually, with... Um, Ali Jane, mm -hmm. one of our Ishta, my Ishta peers, yeah. and um, they made it a part of their retreat to assign mantras related to uh, what's going on in our lives. And it's the first time that anyone has asked me to do that practice of repeating the mantra 108 times in earnest. I, I've dabbled, but I've never committed myself to doing that practice and um and it's been pretty profound and my so i've been thinking about that a lot i've been thinking about what is really going on and when we say these mantras this many times i can i know what i'm feeling and i and I know what I'm seeing in my life, but I also know that you're 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 quite an expert or quite experienced in, in mantra. And I I I think my question, if there's a question, is um, when do you know when to stop? <laughs> and also, 
And also, how do we, how do you think about mantra and and whether or not, how do you parse whether or not there's something more going on with the mind in calling our attention to this topic in this area of life versus am I actually talking to Saraswati, this goddess, and is she bestowing her wisdom on my life in the form of blessings? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a big big bunch of questions there. Um let me let me try to parse some of that. Um we'll we'll leave the how do you know when to stop question for later since that's sort of the end question. Um there there are a few different aspects to the way mantra works. I mean, one of them is kind of psychological. You have like an affirmation quality to something. You maybe feel you are doing something that needs to be shifted. You say something to yourself and you've been told or you looked it up yourself and you realized, you know, I should um, make this kind of shift and this mantra is going to help me make this kind of shift. So there's there's just straightforward affirmative, positive intention kind of thing going on. That to me is the the smallest component. Although for someone who's very negative in their thinking, it can really help because it starts to shed light on the way that you let your mind spin out with negative stuff. So if you're you're sort of countering that with something positive and you allow yourself to be... Um, like maybe mindful is kind of a general word, but if you allow yourself to notice when you say that, how does it feel? Like, do I agree? Do I disagree? Do I think I'm full of shit when I say that? You know, that kind of thing. Then you start to recognize how much your mind is telling you certain kinds of things. Um, so it can be really helpful. I'm not. I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying it's the smallest component. I think of what the power of a mantra is, but nonetheless, it's a useful component. Um, the sound itself has an effect. I mean, we, we've all watched films of you know people vibrating <laughs> stuff, and it's real, right? And so that component is maybe getting mostly at where I would say Ishta Tantra goes. We're talking about a vibration of something. And when we make the sound out loud, the vibration is physical. We call it physical. Our five senses recognize it. But at the same time, the the vibratory nature of things is present always. You know, I, I was listening to a podcast by a guy um, who is, I guess he would call himself like a spiritual ecologist. So he is um, looking at the nature of the world and all the various systems and how they interact. And he said something very interesting in this podcast, which was that we as animals naturally relate to the environment that we're in. 
we are naturally able to feel and taste and touch and sense and know stuff about our environment, but we have sort of shut ourselves off because of our culture, right? And mm -hmm. so our culture takes us and puts us in this abstract world that's in our heads, mm -hmm. that's based on words and writing. So in fact, though, we are very much just a part of the flux of what is, you know? It's just this, this uh, ahankara in us, to use the Sanskrit word, this eye-making machine that says I'm at something different from what I'm immersed in. So when we use mantra and we're tapping a vibration, we are shifting our environment, right? Uh, and we are a part of what we are shifting. Mm -hmm. So you say the mantra to push the energy in a certain way. And that's why, you know, like in, in like fantasy books and whatnot, it's called like a making a spell and it's like you can make something happen. It's because, you know, those, um, you know, druidic cultures and, and some of that other kind of thing, they feel more, much more plugged into their environment by nature, right? They didn't mm. make this big separation that like Descartes put us, our minds here and our bodies there. So, um, so that's what's happening, the, the nature of the, the mantra. The, the other thing that you said was, am I calling on this goddess Saraswati, right? And this is a subtlety, but it's really big. <laughs> it's a big subtlety. <laughs> um, <laughs> If you have no sense of yourself as being larger, right? And I'm gonna use that word just as a, a generalization. It's hard to imagine that you embody all the various possibilities, right? If you're thinking of yourself very separate from everything else. So, for a person who's in that state of mind or even maybe that state of evolution without putting a judgment on it, you tend to look outside for help because you don't think you have any power. You don't think you have any connection, right? So um, the practice of bhakti yoga is one that is for that kind of a person, right? Mm. I will call on some energy that's outside of me and try to align it and try to worship it and try to uh, um, you know, offer, offer to it so that it will help me, right? And that's a totally valid way to think about what's going on when you say mantra. That's sort of the basis of a lot of prayer and a lot of systems. But in a more integrative way of feeling yourself in your world, you are just 
like picking up a guitar and saying, I want to sound like this right now. You were just telling me you're learning the guitar more, you know? So it's like, I want to sound like this now. So you make that sound. And then that's the song you are singing, right? That's the song you are projecting. When I call on Saraswati, I am calling on the wisdom that I access in order to speak wisdom, to project wisdom, to express wisdom, to be creative, right? That's a part of what I am because I am Brahman, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I just said that because we're like in an abstract moment and it's easy to hold these big thoughts when you're in the thick of it. (laughs) You know, then it's trickier and that's where like, practice comes in so that you get Mm. better and better at being able to hold those moments when it's challenging yeah wow i have so many thoughts (laughs) yeah go ahead share some of them um no i i i I resonate with so much of what you just said i guess a quick follow-up question though is when we say um Ishvara Pranidhana is a part of, of the essential part of the yoga practice. So that is to say, surrender to the idea of either an inner or an outer teacher that is greater than us or a, a power that is greater than us. That is, is that a part of what you're talking about when you say that whether or not you're placing the power on an idea of an outside force or the power on the idea of an inner ability of your own. Is that what we're describing when we're weaving Ishvara Pranidhana or idea thinking about it? I mean, Ishvara Pranidhana is, you know, you, depending on what translation you pick up, it could give you a lot of words of what it is. Through, through my own meditation and, and, pondering this concept, I think of Ishvara as the kind of the law of nature, right? So like if if you think about the the origin that's described in Tantra of the Tattvas, and you you have first Brahman, you just have everything that is or no thing, right? And then there is a sankalpa or an intention for there to be experience, for there to be something, right? The next logical thing that has to happen is, okay, so what is the thing that we're gonna experience? And to me, this is where Ishvara, that name uh, gets applied. It's like, okay, so what is this, right? And this is nature. It is big bangs and dark matter and how gravity works and quantum theory and all of that stuff, right? So when we say Ishvara Pranidhana, the surrender to Ishvara, if you take it in the way that I'm describing it, it's your surrendering to the the universe. You're not fighting with the universe. You're not saying it shouldn't be this way. And 
in one way that keeps you, it lets you let go enough to have the experience of meditation, right? To have the experience mm -hmm. of stepping outside of your individuality, outside of time and form and, and desire and cause and effect. So by letting you do that, you're able to have your meditation, but it also lets you have the experience of things as they really are. You, you allow mm -hmm. yourself to know more of what is nature, right? Mm -hmm. And to accept that, oh, wow, part of nature is that I can have this experience. Part of the way things are built is that humans evolve to where they can know who they are. And in that, you have self-realization, right? Mm. And self-realization is, you know, the, the, you know, regardless of what system you're in, it's always like the goal, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. You're trying to know what is what is this? What am I? Whether you're saying I want to know God, or I want to know who am I, or I want to know the Buddha nature, whatever you're calling it, what you're talking about is I want to know what's what's up here. Right? <laughs> yeah, what's really going on? Yeah, yeah. So Ishvara is the name of like the Lord. It's often described as the Lord, but what does that mean in in a system in which we are also that? It means we're understanding the rules, the, the, the governing structure or the governing power or what, how does this work, right? Mm, cool, thank you. There's a nuance here that I'm curious about picking apart again, which is, so what I heard or what I'm pulling away from that response is that Ishvara Pranidhana is an understanding of nature and, uh, and and surrendering ourselves to those rules, those laws. Some of those rules and laws include the fact that there are, we have a, a potential that is far greater than us, um, possibly. <laughs> and I think that my previous question another piece of it was wondering if there is a concept of yoga that is a word for almost like faith in magic or like, yeah, faith that there's something beyond the physical. Is there a, con a word for that? I think the basic premise of yoga is that there is something beyond that, right? Mm -hmm. That we have five senses interacting with objects of what they're capable of doing and making story out of that. And that's called Maya. You know, we were with limitation on inf infinite. And so we are, we are experiencing everything within that veil, right? We were talking about our colleague Scott, who's an actor, you know, and you're an actor too, and you, you know how it is you, you put on a role and you do that thing, but you know who you are even when you're performing, right? So mm -hmm. in a way, we do our practice to have the experience of ourselves as we are, who we are, 
right? So like literally the second line in the Yoga Sutras, right? So you know who you are. <laughs> this is why we want to have yoga, right? And so when you have that, and maybe this is a, more the answer to your question, then you start to experience life more completely. You do not see only the limitations of yourself. You see the capacities that you have, and those are called siddhi in the sutras, right? So you you have the ma- the magic is the siddhi, right? That suddenly you have abilities that seem magical to anyone who doesn't who's stuck in so much limitation Mm -hmm. right so when you speak a mantra and it has the shakti in it right it has the force in it then then it works and it looks like siddhi right you you mentioned uh the other day like watching me do shaktipat on somebody and seeing them react to it it looks magical right? But it's just real. It's just what happens, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, um, mm-hmm. a book I'm, I'm like three quarters of the way through by a neuroscientist who died in the wool scientist. I mean, she did not believe in anything that was not materialistic science, right? And mm-hmm. um, But she started having some um, experiences with uh, what what she was calling like intuitive readings, you know, and um, decided to, in her spare time from her full-time <laughs> neuroscientist job, you know, started researching all this stuff. And it really took her down the rabbit hole of looking at how much research has been done on s- this kind of psychic stuff, you know, and... One of the things is that in the research is people's thoughts have impact on other people and on things, and they tend to shift like around various events. So, you know, her her sort of, I mean, it's a kind of a cutely written book, but because she's like amazing herself <laughs> by what she's <laughs> discovering, right? But... um you know, she says that, you know, so if you want to send some good thoughts to somebody, it's probably something there that's powerful, you know, that, that it will have an effect. I mean, at least the research is showing that. Mm. So, <clears throat> it's so amazing. What, yeah, yeah. And so that's sort of, you know, it was nice to, to hear about that research because it's like one more metaphor in my pocket for when I'm talking about mantra, you know, Mm. research shows that, you know, our thoughts do have this ability to, to travel, to impact, to move outside of what neuroscientists would just think is everything's in your brain. Mm -hmm. Mm. Something that I, uh, I, it's coming back, circling back to my brain. It's settling in that you said a little bit earlier was something like Shaktipat or some magic occurrence, feel like something that feels uh, uh, metaphysical. Really, um, in the scheme of the universe and the rules of the universe or whatever in nature is a possibility, at least 
those of us at Ishta who who do this meditation practice have sat in it long enough know that it, it happens and that um, it's a matter of perspective between experience with or not having experience with that gives it this label of real, not real, metaphysical, physical, magic, not magic. It's really just something that happens in nature and that practicing meditation <laughs> puts, puts some of that stuff in perspective, gives you that ability to take time to expand your framework for how things are playing out. Yeah. Um, cool. It was another, it, that was actually one of the other components of this uh, scientist's findings that meditation tends to open up the ability of people to have these kinds of more psychic experiences. So, I mean, it's, I, I often say in trainings that, you know, we go from being children to being adults, but then, you know, the, some of us find this path and we go from being adults to being yogis. It's like a whole different developmental place and you live differently from that place. Mm -hmm. mm. It makes me think that, and also in some ways, with this idea of liberation or deprogramming ourselves from beliefs that we collected on our pathway to becoming adults, there's also this fun resonance of becoming a yogi also means becoming more childlike in certain... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, aspects. that's a great observation. So given given all of that, how does that impact your either your experience or how you're thinking about this mantra that you've been working with? It's in a weird way, I think that it it feels very affirming and it feels there's a certain I, I, I always come back to this place when I'm thinking about yoga and thinking about the Isha teachings that things just start to fold back in on themselves in a way that feels like you think, like I expect the system of these ideas to feel more complex as you learn more. But it really, in my lived experience, ends up feeling like it all comes back to the same thing. And, um, for instance, we talk about this a bunch already, but it always feels like it comes back to the idea of the koshas and this idea of the koshas and the sheets and the different densities of experience are everything and they hold everything and they kind of explain a lot of what we experience in this part of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I feel is that I think what resonates with me most is um, the idea that mantra is 
is a is a call out to sort of like an an archetypal piece of the human experience that is a part of my experience and is a part of wisdom quote unquote that I can have that is a part of who I am as a part of the universe it's a little more helpful for me to think about it that way than it is to think about a specific entity that is outside of me. Mm-hmm. Although, but then the other side of it as an artist, the idea of imagining certain imagery, imagery and iconography is, is helpful um, too. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the, the beauty of all of these practices is they, they explicitly have like an external and an internal way of doing them you know so you can take asana you know even asana you can just make the shapes you know or you can like do saham kriya and you're thinking about the energy of it all or you know you're you're thinking about how is this influencing x or y you know and so i think that's a good thing because we're in a constant flux and so sometimes having like that image on the wall is really helpful. You know, I mean, a million times I've thought about Kali chopping my head off, you know, it's like useful, (laughs) right? But, uh, (laughs) you know, but also I understand more theoretically what that means. And I also know what it means to just feel the shift of getting, you know, over myself and moving past whatever it is, right? So, all of those tools are useful. And, and you know, you said, the way you said that made me think of something else I think about a lot with mantra. All the mantras basically mean the same thing. You know, they're like, stop being so focused on the sensory world. You are Brahman or you are whatever, you know, name you want to substitute in there. But they each have... Um, some little extra kick in a direction so that when your issue with getting to that basic thought again is, you know, it's a heart thing. Well, then you have this mantra or it's a head thing. And you have this mantra or it says, I feel lack. Well, then it's this mantra, right? But they're all saying here, you have enough of whatever it is that you feel like you're, you don't have to push you into the main idea. So it comes to what you were saying, folding back in on itself, you know, that is exactly what the whole mantra practice is about, you know. Like, remember who you really are. Exactly. And get out of your own way, because who you really are is where all of this stuff stems from, stems right. from anyway. Right. Yeah, you're, like, you're feeling like this thing is an obstacle. No, it's not. <laughs> Ganesha, it. boom, you know, now you know who you are again, right? You know, I don't have an, I, I, I'm not going to make my rent, you know, Lakshmi that shit, you know, and then boom, you know, and so forth. It's like just whatever you can come up with in your brilliant creative mind, it, it's just a thought, you know, and Alan says it's not real. And, and I have a little bit of challenge saying that, right. It's because it feels awful real when you're in it. And and when I've when I've really put the screws on him about that question, you know, he's like, "Well, all right, but I mean, we're always thinking it's real. You know, the only thing that you can think of that's 
real in this realm is that all this stuff isn't all there is, right? But it's so hard to get in that thought. It's so hard to be in that space where you're looking at this as just like a hologram, <laughs> right? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It, yeah, it is real. It is. It's in the. It's in. It's. I mean, there's a part of me that feels. I think resonates with what you're saying. It's like it is real. It, it finds itself in our in the tissues of our bodies. Like mm -hmm. these beliefs, they mm -hmm. we feel them in our bodies and our muscles and our bones, and so they are real. But they are. Um, they're also we also sort of create them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, kind of continuing to explore it this question of mantra and you, you touched on this earlier and this comes up a lot, but I, I, I still feel like I always am curious about this idea that um, what you said was when you're saying a mantra, if it has the Shakti, mm -hmm. then it will have this kick. Um, and I think, I think what you were saying is if the, if someone is saying the mantra and they have the experience of having been passed this sort of like underlying Shakti from someone who has been passed the mantra from a teacher and, and that the Shakti of that has been passed through that there's a little extra something. Um, is that right? And um, can you, I guess, explain a little bit about the thought behind just saying the words of a mantra and saying them having been past the energy of the mantra? Yeah, the tradition is very much like you receive the energy of the mantra from a teacher, right? From someone who has used that mantra. And, you know, we, we receive teachings in so many ways these days. Um, and I think that, and again, this is, uh, you, you would hear probably different answers from different teachers, but my, my feeling from my own experience is that um, there's a kind of Shakti, a kind of energy that is mantra Shakti. You know, it's like, this is the energy of um, using sound to make change. And I think uh, a lot of artists, a lot of singers, you know, their karma is to have that kind of Shakti, right? They open their mouths like you do, you know, and it, it impacts people. And um, that said, you know, mantras are very special way of using sound because of what we were just talking about, that it's, it's saying, hey, you are Brahman, you need to get back to knowing that here's a nudge that you need to do it, right? That's very different from like singing beautifully or pronouncing things well or knowing the story of uh, where, who is Rama and who is Sita, you know, the, it's like, these are all aesthetic kinds of questions where the, the Shakti is 
part karmic and part and and karmic also involves like you have a teacher that's your part of your karma you know and that teacher is helping you there there's a stream of energy behind that that puts those words in your mouth to say right but that said like i'm i'm not so sure that if you don't know such a teacher and you're really devoted and are reading a book that has a mantra in it that you couldn't make that mantra work right so it's a like a little bit bigger picture of where does this shakti come from you know Mm -hmm. but the shakti is what's important Right. So mm-hmm. when, if your teacher is not a Sanskrit scholar, you know, and is saying the thing in a kind of a funny way, you can say it the way that your teacher says it and it will embody what, whatever Shakti that teacher's bringing to it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I think also, like, if you decide to study Sanskrit and you suddenly know how that word is supposed to be pronounced and you pronounce it, but your intention is still to bring forth what your teacher gave you. You're just sort of tweaking the language. Again, that's like you're you're evolving the lineage, right, of that mm-hmm. as you go. So, um, I think that your intention is key. Your humility is key your understanding of practice is key, you know? It's like, um, like I, I, you know, over time I've had students who, they, they seem to want wishes granted, you know? And, and so like mantra is not about granting wishes, although some of the things you want might come from it. Mantra is about know who you are, and this is what's in your way, so we're going to try to get that out of the way so that you know who you are, right? Um, so, I, yeah, go on. No, yeah, I, I vibe with that. It's like, sure, know who you are, and either your wishes will come true or they'll change. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and. I vibe with that. And something that you said uh, reminds me of the Ishtakriya practice and the way that you and I'll talk about it, that it is one of the things that makes the Kriya so powerful, or at least this is the way I think about it, is that we are humans and we're having life and we're experiencing life and it's happening and it's unfolding in a certain way. And according to our school of philosophy, it's flowing through us in this certain way (laughs) in this, in the, through the, through the energetic anatomy of our bodies and, and how we're here. And one of the things about the Kriya that is are that feels so powerful to me is that the intention is to be able to place your awareness into that anatomy, into that experience thing, to know it well enough to then 
know how to follow it back to an experience of somebody. Mm -hmm. And that it's the sort of, it's the intent. It's like the, it's the precision of the intent of our meditation practice that I, that feels, that makes it feel so uh, precise and how quote powerful to me. And with the way that you were describing that distinction of what sits behind mantra as being important feels similar that, uh, that what makes mantra feel powerful feels similar is that, um, because it's the same thing. It's this idea that you're not just saying these words to get something, to get something you want. You're saying the words to remind yourself of who you really are, to find yourself in alignment with that truth. Yeah. That that is the Shakti. That that's that the is the Shakti, exactly. That's the direction of it. Mm-hmm. That's where the power comes from. If you're wishing something for your own glorification, there's no Shakti in that. If you're wishing for something, you know, to make somebody like you, there's no Shakti in that, right? If you're looking for growth, you're looking for wisdom, you're looking for understanding, for your own evolving, for some for someone else, right? You can do a mantra for someone else for their betterment for their for their health or well-being etc right these are all of the intentions that have power in them mm. Mm. yeah so maybe a way to wrap this up is to come back to your very first question which is how do you know when to stop <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, the, the traditional mantra practice is to do, repeat a mantra 108 times, you know, over a course of time in order to know that mantra, to feel it, to know what it feels like, to have that energy and to be able to access it when you just want to call on it. And the, um, the use of that energy is only really relevant when you need what it does, right? You know, if you learn a mantra that's about um, feeling more prosperous, that's really useful when you don't feel prosperous. But if you feel like the world is supplying, you know, what I need, I have no needs, right? Then you don't need that particular push in your energy, but maybe you just had your heart broken and you need something that's about that. Or maybe someone is really coming at you with some aggression and you need something around that, right? So you would let go of the previous mantra that was maybe useful when you were feeling impoverished and then you take on a new mantra that's about what's going on for you now, what's preventing you from knowing yourself now, right? And I mean, for forever, like the, the Vedas had all these various um, mantras and offerings that you were supposed to be able to do for things that are like practical in living also, like prosperity. That's a thing that's practical in living. 
Um, there was a guy who used to come to Ishta every now and then and sell the murtis, the statues. You know? Oh yeah. And um, and he said in a in a talk, you know, most most people are drawn to Lakshmi, but when what they need is Saraswati, right? So people want the material boon, but what they need is the wisdom that would bring that about, you know. Mm. So it's not that mm. it's bad to have prosperity or it's bad for you to, you know, find a parking place when you can't find one and stuff like that. It's that you, it can't be all about that, right? Mm -hmm. That has to be a siddhi because you're tapped into things in a bigger way. Mm. Wow, that's really profound. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and it makes sense too. It's like if you're trying to balance in tree pose and balancing is knowing yourself, then you lean, you extend the right side of your body if you're leaning, yeah. if you're leaning to the right, yeah. but you wouldn't keep leaning that way if you start tipping the other way. <laughs> exactly. Know? Exactly. Um, you know, but th then there are people who like take this, um, you know, the in the description in the Yoga Sutras of Svadhyaya, you know, it says that Svadhyaya brings your Ishta Devata, right? And you know your who is your what is your Ishta Devata. But like we would interpret that as you know how to practice, right? But in some traditions it's thought, well, you're you have a special deity that is your Ishta Devata, that is your personal deity. And so you will just chant to that deity or you will worship that deity as your root in and some traditions even will like give you that name you know like you are krishna krishna nanda or something like that or mm. shiva nanda or mona ananda <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then that's that's your root in and you would just keep that but that's a that's a different use of mantra mm. Mm. Hmm. Oh, so that's how people end up with those names. Mm. It's like it's a bit of a prescription almost yeah. of Yeah. This it's, is the medicine you need. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Stephen. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Yeah. For walking me through some of that. You bet. Um, and I hope that um, this Saraswati mantra, which I'm still chanting and still feels good to chant, gives me some wisdom. Absolutely. <laughs> the The thing about mantra is it always works. Mm. But we're pretty crafty at, you know, figuring out how to ignore that. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I feel that, although I do feel like it's working. <laughs> Yay, that's good. Yeah. I, I would be surprised yeah. if it didn't. Thanks. All Thanks right. Thanks so much. Well, we'll talk again soon. I hope so. All Thank right. you. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thanks a lot for listening to Peter's podcast, where my aim is to help you find real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Take care.